It's a blessed day today. I see we got some offering going on here. The boys are getting a head start on VBS. And uh, it's a blessing to, uh, to be together on this 4th of July. Uh, aren't we grateful to live in a country where we could gather together without fear of punishment to sing loudly about Jesus, our Lord and Savior, who saved us, died on the cross for us, gave us a second chance and a new hope, and we don't have to hold back one bit. We don't have to whisper our praise like some folks do, like the underground church in many places in China and Russia and other places that aren't able to worship freely because the country that they live in does not support the cause of Jesus Christ. We are thankful that we live in a country that gives us the freedoms to choose where we want to go and worship on Sunday, and we've chosen to be here at Mission Ebenezer Family Church. We've chosen to call upon the name of Jesus who is worthy to be praised. We don't live in a perfect country, uh, but I can't think of a whole lot of other ones that I'd want to be in. Um, this is my home, and I'm proud to say this is my home, and I'm not ashamed to say it. Uh, do we have things that we need to work on? Absolutely. Every, in fact, it won't be until we're in, we're in heaven, you know, when we are right next to Jesus, worshiping God, where we're finally in a land with no problems. And until then, we're going to have issues, but we're going to do our best to be salt and light wherever it is that God has placed us. Amen? Amen? I don't know about you, but um, I'm the kind of person that, you know, I don't know if it's the way I was raised. I don't know if it's sports. I don't know what it is, but I'm the kind of person that if there's a problem going on, I want to be part of the solution to fixing the problem instead of complaining about the problem. And I think we, we oftentimes live in a culture and society where everybody can be critical and critique and throw complaints, but they're not willing to do anything about it. And the way I say it is, if you're not ready to do something about it, keep your complaint to yourself, okay? And unfortunately, Facebook has given a megaphone to all the people that like to complain and not do anything about it. Because you could, you could thumb your way into complaints all day long, as opposed to using all 10 of your fingers to do something about it. Right. And so so to this morning on Fourth of July, as we gather together in the house of God, we gather together not as those who put country above God. Country is never above God. In fact, I was I was walking down the street in my neighborhood and I noticed one of my neighbors had an American big old American flag, one of the biggest ones that you could find right up hanging on a flagpole, beautiful flagpole, not like my chintzy one that I like drilled into my fascia board. I'm talking about a big old, you know, 100 foot tall pole that's concrete cemented into the ground. And they got a big old American flag on it. And then right under it, they had like an eight by 10 Christian flag. And I was like, I like the effort because most people don't even fly the Christian flag. But to me, that just looks odd. A big American flag and a tiny Christian flag. The way I see it, it's got to be the other way around. We, we got to put the flag of Christ up top real big and then maybe the American flag smaller underneath it. And that, that doesn't mean we don't like our country. It just means our country is not our God. Uh, we have a God. His name is Jesus, right? And so, uh, and so but we are thankful. Um, and, and I don't know how many of you paid attention during American history class. Some of you are like, I didn't make it that far, pastor, in high school. And we don't judge you. Don't worry. That's not part of our new guest membership class here. We don't ask you what level of education you completed or how much you paid attention in class. But if Pastor Isaac, my dad, is preaching, then he'll make sure you pay attention in church. Otherwise, he'll put you on blast. Since he's gotten older and his eyesight's not as good, he can't call you out by, like, by name anymore. But back in the day, 
10, 15, 20 years ago, he'd call you out by the color of your shirt, by your name, who your mom and dad's name is. Be like, you're not paying attention right now. You know, he'll look at a 25-year-old and be like, if you're not, you can go to junior church right now. Ushers, take him over there to junior church. He's not paying attention in the adult service, right? So anyway, we're, we're not going to do that kind of stuff to you today. Um, but I don't know how many of you paid attention during American history class, okay? And I know you kind of get the elementary school version of it, and then you get the high school version of it. Um, but I think there's some beautiful stuff that is situated in the documents of the founding of our great country. Our country is a baby country, by the way. Um, if you go to the Middle East or if you go to Europe, you're going to find countries that have been around for thousands of years. We've been around for a few hundred. And in the, the grand scheme of things, in the broad scope of human history, that's a snap of a finger. Um, and so we are still figuring things out as a country. But the essential founding documents include ideas that are beautiful and in many ways point to uh, some things that are scriptural. So today I'm going to start by uh, taking a look at a few lines from the Declaration of Independence, if that's okay. I felt like it's fitting. It's July 4th. Uh, don't worry, we're not going to treat it as a biblical text. It's not a biblical text. It's just a historical document. But there are some ideas in there that are important for us to keep in mind as a people. Um, but the more important ideas that we want to focus on after that are Matthew chapter 5. Um, so the Declaration of Independence, it's, it starts out, it was signed on July 4th, 1776, and it starts out by reading as follows. The unanimous declaration of the 13 United States of America. Some of you might be thinking, why 13? Because of the colonies that were there on the East Coast prior to uh, the, the, our country moving westward. It says, when in the course of human events, it becomes necessary for one people to dissolve the political bands which have connected them with another and to assume among the powers of the earth the separate and equal station to which the laws of nature and natures of God entitle them. A decent respect to the opinions of mankind requires that they should declare the causes which impel them to the separation. Then it goes on to read as follows. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. So right there in the second line of the Declaration of Independence is a line that did not make sense in 1776, but if we look at it with a different lens, makes a lot of sense today. It says that we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men, and I'm going to put it this way, all people, because in those days, women weren't treated the same as men. Let's just make that clear. Women did not get voting rights until much later. So even though there were great ideas in this document, it didn't mean that it actually happened, if that makes sense. Right? And we also know that at that point, we were still dealing with trying to figure out slavery in our country. And so, but it starts here by, by demonstrating that the, the idea is pure and the idea is right. All men, all people are created equal in the eyes of God. How many of us believe that that's true? Brown people, black people, white people, Asian people, Native American people, men, women created equal in the eyes of God. And we believe that to be true. Amen? 
In fact, we believe that to be so true that we as a people, we as a church, are willing to go to lengths to be sure that if anybody is treated unequally because of the color of their skin, because of where they come from, because of their country of origin, where they were born, because of what language they speak or don't speak, we take it upon ourselves to demonstrate that it is a moral and a spiritual responsibility to have their back and to make sure that they're not fighting battles alone. Right? And so as much as these words in the Declaration of Independence demonstrate great ideas, they still have not been actualized in our country. So what does that mean? Do we complain about it and thumb about it on Facebook? No, we do something about it to demonstrate that if you look around in this sanctuary and congregation, you will see faces that represent every single continent on this wonderful earth that God has given us. And it is our responsibility to be sure that if we're to live up to these ideas that were penned to paper in 17 1776, then it causes for us to have the eyes of God, the heart of God, the hands of God, the feet of God to continue our work to demonstrate that every single person is loved, cared for, and treated equally with respect. So I'm not going to go on because it continues to describe why it was important for these United States, as they called themselves, which, by the way, they were hardly states and they were hardly united, but they came together and said, we don't want to pay taxes to Britain anymore because they, have, they haven't given us representation in government and uh, we want to have and establish our own place. And so this idea of independence uh, sparked a, 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 a revolution, uh, so to speak, and, uh, and a few hundred years later, we have our own country that we call the United States of America. And so we're thankful that God has blessed us with this land. We're thankful that God has blessed us with, the, with, these, uh, with this, our people, that we get to come together and call our mother land. Amen? Again, we're not perfect, but we are thankful that God's given us this space. So I want to kind of uh, shift gears now to Matthew chapter 5, and we're going to be looking at uh, a few stories in these uh, consecutive chapters from Matthews 5, 6, and 7. Um, which is famously referred to as the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount, Matthews 5, 6, and 7. We're going to look at the first part of the Sermon on the Mount today. Um, this section of Scripture that we'll be focusing on is commonly referred to as the Beatitudes. Everybody say the Beatitudes. The Beatitudes. All right, and so we're going to be studying this, and essentially what this section of Scripture represents in the Gospel of Matthew is a turning point where Matthew chapter 4 really does uh, uh, demonstrate for us that Jesus had called his disciples, that he was building a team, so to speak, that he wanted to begin to, uh, to travel and to speak about the kingdom of God. He wanted to travel and allow others to know who God was and what God was like. And he had this core group of people that were called the disciples. He called them. Many of them were fishermen, right? Some of them were tax collectors. Uh, and, and he called them together. And now Matthew chapter 5 is one of the largest sermons recorded in Scripture. 5, 6, and 7. It's all together. In fact, scholars believe that it wasn't just one a long sermon that Jesus preached, all right? He gave them bathroom breaks, and he gave them food breaks, and snack bar breaks, and stretch breaks. So some people believe that the Sermon on the Mount between Matthews 5, 6, and 7 actually occurred over a series of days with a series of sermons as he was teaching about who God is and what the kingdom of God is like. And so he starts out by, uh, by, by preaching to them in Matthew chapter 5, 
what I, uh, what I shared just a second ago is referred to as the Beatitudes. And so I want to read uh, Matthew 5, verse 1 and following, and then we'll, we'll, we'll reverse and begin to break it down uh, one, one verse at a time for our time together this morning. So it says uh, in Matthew 5, 1, it says, And seeing the multitudes, he went up on a mountain, and when he was seated, his disciples came to him. So even before we get started there, verses, verse 1 is demonstrating to us that even at the beginning of Jesus' ministry, there were already crowds that were following him, right? In fact, the word for crowd here, uh, the word for a single crowd is oklos in Greek. And the word that's used here in Matthew 5 is okloi, which is the plural form, which means crowds of crowds. So a whole lot of people wanted to come and hear from Jesus, but it says Jesus saw the crowds, and it says he went up onto the mountain. So I don't know about you, right? But if this group of us that gathered together this morning um, came together, and all of a sudden we were getting ready to listen to Jesus teach, and then he says, all right, you guys, come follow me. I'm going to go walk up to the top of PV, and I'll continue our sermon this morning. I guarantee you that five of the people who are here would make it up to the top of PV to listen to the rest of what Jesus had to say. The rest of us would say, I'm going to follow it on Facebook Live. I got you, Jesus. So Jesus went up to the mountaintop because he wanted to have a deeper instruction time with those who are committed, not just those who are curious. Right? There were a lot that were curious, but there were a few that were committed. So he went up onto the mountain essentially to weed out. For those who weren't really serious about it, they said, oh, you know what? I don't think I'm going to be able to make it up and back in time for my next appointment. And so I'll have to catch you next time, Jesus. So Jesus makes his way up in Capernaum to this beautiful space that many of us have had a chance to visit for those who have gone on the Israel trip. And we had a chance to go to this space that is often uh, referred to as the place where Jesus delivered the Sermon on the Mount, overlooking the Sea of Galilee, a beautiful location there in Capernaum. So Jesus goes up here. The disciples come to him. It says in verse 2, Then he opened his mouth and he taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor, in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn. All right, I want to try this. Let's do this just uh, for a little uh, activity here. Is that all right? I'm going to start with verse 3 again. When I read the word blessed, I want everybody to repeat, repeat uh, blessed after me. Does that sound all right? Blessed, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed, blessed. are those who mourn. For they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. The Word of God, Matthew chapter 5, the Beatitudes. 
So you can see that there is a re repetition that's happening in this first part of Jesus' sermon on the mount. And he's making it a point here to defining for them, right? Blessed is. And then he fills in something and he's teaching them what blessedness really means. And he's breaking down for them the, the definition. The word blessed here in Greek in Matthew 5 is makarioi, makarioi, which means happy or blessed. He's saying happy or blessed are those, and then he fills in the blank. So why is it that Jesus would take time in this inaugural sermon to start by defining for them what true blessedness is all about? I would argue this morning that Jesus was teaching them about an upside-down kingdom. An upside-down kingdom where people often thought of the word blessed and they had other uh, definitions or meanings for what blessedness meant. In fact, you and I are probably guilty of using the word blessedness in a way that Jesus was teaching against. In other words, if I got a raise, I would say, oh man, I was blessed. My boss gave me a raise. If I had three children, which God has given me, I, I, I say, man, God has blessed me with three children, right? If I have a beautiful wife, wife, which God has given me, I say, man, God has blessed me with a wife. I am blessed, right? I am blessed. And I oftentimes refer to blessedness as receiving something, right, that I consider to be valuable. And in that moment, I allow myself to see that as a result of receiving that, I am now called blessed. So in, in my human understanding of blessedness or happiness, it's oftentimes connected to what I have or don't have. If I'm in good health, man, God has blessed me with good health, right? And so don't get me wrong. I'm not, I'm not saying that I should stop understanding those things as being blessed. But let me ask you the question in reverse, so does that then mean that the person who doesn't have a home, the person who doesn't have a wife, the person who doesn't have children, the person who hasn't gotten a raise or maybe even hasn't gotten a job, the person who hasn't experienced these things, does that, does that then mean by going the, with the flow of the definition that I've just described that they are now unblessed or not blessed? Because if we follow that logic, then what it means is money equals blessedness. Health equals blessedness. Receiving things equals blessedness. And Jesus stands up, and the first sermon that he preaches in Matthew chapter 5 is he says, let me teach you what real blessedness is all about. Because Jesus, in some ways, is teaching them about this upside-down kingdom. Later on, he's going to go on to teach them things like the first will be last and the last will be first. What you expected the world to pursue is actually in reverse order. Jesus says, if you want to find your life, you got to lose it first. And if you lose your life for righteousness' sake, you're going to find it. Jesus said, it's all backwards. It's not about getting as much stuff as you can get. It's about giving away as much stuff as you can give away. It's not about being as happy as you could possibly be, but it's about trying to make somebody else as happy as they could possibly be. Jesus says, you've heard it and you've seen it done all wrong, and I want to teach you what the kingdom of God really is all about. Because you could get excited and married to the kingdom of earth, but there's another kingdom that's bigger and better, and it's called the kingdom of God. And in that kingdom... The last are treated like the first. The lowly are treated like those who are in high position. And the high position are treated like those who are in low position. 
the kingdom of God is an upside down kingdom. And so Jesus begins this sermon by teaching them what blessedness really is. Right? A lot of this you could see throughout the stories of Jesus' ministry and teaching and miracles. Remember, there was a, a man who was born blind, and the Pharisees came to Jesus, and they wanted to, 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 to press Jesus on this really difficult theological issue, and they said, which person sinned that this man was born blind? Was it his parents who sinned? Was it their sin that caused their son to be born blind? Or was it his future sin that caused him to be born blind? Tell us, Jesus, why is it that this, this person had to be blind? Whose sin is at fault for it? And Jesus looked at them and said, you got it all wrong. The only reason why he was born blind is so that today you can see that God does miracles. And so person who can't see, you can have your sight right now. God be praised. May God receive the glory because God can turn the blind into those who can see. So Jesus is saying, stop trying to pinpoint stuff on people, right? And that happened for those who were, who were, who were born with the inability to walk like the other one, person that Jesus healed. There was always this assumption that if you had something wrong with you, it was because of sin that you carried on your life. And imagine the implications and the consequences of living in that kind of reality. The only people who were allowed to worship freely then at that point were the healthy and the wealthy. Aren't we thankful that God loves not just the healthy and the wealthy, but he likes those who are sick and he loves those who don't have very much? So he goes on this series of definitions to teach us a new way of understanding blessedness. So again, don't get me wrong. It doesn't mean that you have not been blessed when God has given you the things that you have. No, I'm going to continue saying God has blessed me with a beautiful wife. I'm going to continue saying God has blessed me with three amazing children. But the difference is I understand that even on my low day, when I didn't get all the things that I wanted, and when I'm not feeling as good as I used to feel because I'm sick or I'm going through something, even on that day, because of who I am in Christ, because of my identity and not my possessions, because of my identity and not my possessions, even on that day, I'm still blessed. Amen? Amen? So, so let's look at each of these statements individually to understand what Jesus is teaching us about blessedness and happiness, okay? Because some, some of us, honestly, we are torn between pursuing two visions of reality. One vision of reality is God's vision of reality, and then the other one is the world's vision of reality. In the world's vision of reality, we are influenced by popular culture, we're influenced by magazines, we're influenced by TV, movies, what we hear, what music, we're influenced by all kinds of things that are telling us what blessedness and happiness really looks like. And, and if we're not careful, we could either choose to pursue this one over pursuing the vision of reality that God's provided for us, or what we sometimes do in America is we bring these things together and pretend like they're supposed to be married. Amen. When in reality, what Jesus is teaching us here is let's Let's, let's deconstruct these ideas that you have allowed to be ingrained into your mind and heart to pursue this vision of blessedness and happiness that the world's given you so that you can lay those things down and pursue blessedness and happiness in God's eyes.
Amen? So he says in verse 3, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Some of you may be wondering, what does it mean to have a poor spirit, to be poor in spirit? What is, it, what is, this, what is Jesus saying here in verse 3 of Matthew chapter 5? Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Essentially what he's saying here is, blessed are those who don't feel very good. They don't feel very good about themselves. They don't feel very good about their situation. They don't feel very good about what's going on around them. Jesus is saying, blessed are you, for yours is going to be the kingdom of heaven. Essentially, what Jesus is saying is, if you feel too good in this world that we live in, chances are you're probably not making the necessary sacrifices to fit in in the kingdom of heaven. So anybody that's too comfortable in the kingdom of earth is already disqualifying themselves from being a true member of the kingdom of heaven. Because being part of the kingdom of heaven means that what? We are constantly looking for ways to make things better for those who are downtrodden, for those who are left out, for those who are ostracized, for those who are marginalized. We are constantly trying to do what we can to battle against forces of injustice. So if we are comfortable and complacent, we've already excluded ourselves from being included in God's vision of the kingdom of heaven. Right? And so he says, blessed are the poor in spirit. So guess what? It doesn't just mean the poor in spirit because you're going through something. But how many of us know that when your brother is going through something, you feel it like they feel it? You don't just go, oh, man, that's my brother's issue. That's not my issue. I don't got time for that today, man. It's 4th of July. I just want to have a good time. Barbecue. I'm not going to be thinking about what my brother's going through. I'll tell you what. If my brother's going through something, I'm going through it too. If my brother up in Seattle's going through something, guess what? I'm going through it too. If he's crying, guess what? I'm crying because he's my brother. I don't have sister. I have sister-in-laws. Boomy, I love my sister-in-law, right? But I, I didn't have sisters in the home. I just had brothers. But for me, whatever my brothers go through and whatever I go through, we went through together. So what that means is if I only feel comfortable and complacent all the time, then I've immediately excluded myself from inclusion and being part of God's army. Because being part of God's army means I am interested and committed to the cause of God no matter where I am. Amen? Or does that mean that I never need to smile? No way, because the joy of the Lord is my strength. So I'm going to be smiling through my trial. Somebody say, smile through the trial. Right? No matter what we're going through, we're going to have joy in our hearts, but we're also going to be battling constantly. Why? Because we are not just trying to, to, to get as many things as we can to make ourselves happy and then die. That is not the story that God has written in the Bible. That is the story of the American dream. And there is a difference between God's dream and the American dream. God's dream is, hey, it's okay advance, work hard, grow, develop. But guess what? Take as many people with you as possible and always look for ways to make things better every single place that you go. And if you end up at the end of this road with nothing, guess what? Great, because that's how you came into this world. The American dream says get as much as you want wherever you want. Don't worry about who you step on. Don't worry about who you run past. Don't worry about bringing your family with you because they're all leeches anyways and are just trying to grab hold onto your success. So leave them behind because they talk trash about you. So don't include them in your will. And make sure you get as many homes as you can, as much stuff as you can. Fill up your bank account as big as you can. There you go. You've achieved the American dream. So God's dream tells us, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of 
God. Here's why the kingdom of heaven is theirs. It's because, guess what? Whenever you're at your lowest point, you've recognized that you've hit rock bottom and you cannot get yourself anywhere on your own strength. And so at that point, you call out to something else. Some people call it a higher power. We know who that is. His name is Jesus. And so they call out and Jesus comes and meets them in that space. And it's when they've hit that point that they recognize that it's only by the grace of God, only by his strength, only by the power of the Holy Spirit that they are where they are and they have what they have. And it's it's in that moment that they can re- receive and achieve blessedness, not because of what they've built, but because of what God has done for them. For people who are self-made, quote unquote, by the way, nobody's self-made. You want to know why? Because your mom and dad had to do something before you showed up. You didn't make yourself. That went over some people's head. Either that or they didn't want to go with my imagery for a second. It's okay. You try to act all holy like you don't know where you came from. All right? I'm going to stop right there. I wanted to keep going on that, but I'm going to stop right there. we got the word of God to get to. You're trying to keep me back from getting to verse 4, church. Nobody's self-made. Somebody say amen. Amen. Right? If you think you were self-made, guess what? Your, your back could have broken a long time ago, but God somehow preserved you so that you could use that lower back strength to achieve the goals and dreams that you have right now. So, so God protected you from breaking your back, breaking your leg, getting fired, right? All these kind of things that God has protected. Nobody is self-made. Okay, verse four. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Some of you might be thinking, man, what are you talking about, Jesus? Blessed are those who cry. What kind of message is this? And imagine, this is one of the first sermons that Jesus preached, and he's already talking about crying. Some of you are like, man, come on, Jesus, you you got this whole, if you're trying to campaign to get followers, man, you got this thing backward. You're supposed to be talking about, you know what, if you follow me, I'm going to help you get this and that and go here and there. And Jesus says, true blessedness are those who cry. And I bet you like five people walked away as soon as Jesus said that. I ain't trying to hear that, Jesus, because this other dude that's preaching on the other hill ain't talking about crying, so I'm going to go listen to him talk now. And Jesus said, no, 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 blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted, right? It's in that moment where they recognize that God is ever-present no matter what it is that we go through. Right, And when we recognize that God is with us, when Psalm 23 becomes real in our lives, no matter what valley we walk through, right, no matter how dark it is, no matter how desperate it may seem, that God promises to be with us and never leave us nor forsake us, when that becomes real in our lives, there ain't nothing that life can throw at us that's going to shake us because our faith is put firmly in God who will never leave us no matter what it is that we go through. So Jesus said, it's okay when you cry. Don't worry about it. You're going to be comforted, Jesus says. Jesus said, blessed are the meek. Somebody say meek. Meekness, right? We always say at this church, don't confuse meekness for weakness. But what is meek? What does it mean to be meek? Humble. To be humble, right? Blessed are those who 
are not pretentious. Blessed are those who don't think they're better than everybody else. Blessed are those who, when they succeed, immediately point to five people that help them succeed. Blessed are those who, who are, are constantly looking around to figure out what's going on around them and not just trying to figure out how they're seen and how they're esteemed by those. Blessed are those who aren't trying to get fame by what they do, but they're just trying to be right. Jesus said, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Worldly power is gained through force, aggressive tactics, dog-eat-dog, ruthlessness. There's no time to wait and no room for mercy, no humility, only brute force. Jesus says those people might succeed on this earth, but guess what? They are going to be at the bottom of the list when it comes to the kingdom of heaven. So be careful how we treat others, okay? Treat others with respect, with kindness, don't, if you're in part of a business that is ripping people off and that's the business model of how you become successful, leave that business or change that business. Because there's different ways of becoming successful and you're going to be right with yourself and right with God when you do things the right way. We had somebody uh, do a, a job recently and they said, Oh, you know what? We were trying to install this thing, but um, it turns out it's a half inch lower than what it should be. And so it's going to require a little bit of additional work. And in order for us to really be able to install it, it's going to take another hundred bucks. And by the way, I need it cash. So we called the company that sent them over and say, is this your policy? Is this, is this, do you guys typically ask for cash on the spot? And they say, no, we never do. Anything that has to do with that comes directly through us. So we called the person back and said, hey, you know what? You don't got the job. We're calling somebody else because you're trying to steal 100 bucks from us. If you, I know how to raise something a half an inch, and I don't even know what I'm doing with my hands. Don't, get, don't tell me you need 100 extra bucks. Trying to pull a fast one to gain a little extra. Do things the right way. Do things the right way and God will honor you. Do things the wrong way and it'll come back to you. That's the way God has built things to work. Is everybody clear on that? Some people think, man, I could do it the wrong way, but as long as I give double my tithe, then I'm going to be right with God. And what I would say is, that helps the church, but it don't help you. Amen? Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Think about it. Jesus is saying, hey, guess what? If you treat people well with humility and you don't think you're better than others, this whole thing is going to be yours one day. Think about it. Jesus says, if you're not trying to get all this, I'm going to give it to you. But if you're trying to get all this, I'm going to snatch it from you. Everybody understand that? Okay. Now, verse 6. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. For they shall be filled. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. For they shall be filled. Right? Blessed are those who, when they wake up in the morning, there's nothing that's more important to them than to getting up, to figuring out the right way to pursue God, to be right with God. There's, they, they can't think about anything other than wanting to live their lives in such a way that gives honor and glory to Jesus. Right? They, they wake up in the morning and, and, and they, they, they see something that's taking place and they can't, they can't wait to jump in the middle of it because somebody's being mistreated and they need to make sure they use their education or their degree or their position or their experience to do something about it because they want to establish righteousness and they hunger for it and they thirst for it. 
Some of us think that when you read the word righteousness here, it says hunger and thirst for righteousness, that it just means like, blessed are those who wake up and they can't wait to just turn on worship music and close the curtains and, you know, and just put their hands in the air and like, they hunger and thirst for righteousness. So they just, they read the Bible five times a day from Genesis to Revelation and they worship. You want to know what the definition of righteousness means? Justice seeking. In the scriptures, dikaiosune, it means rightness with God and rightness with others. So in other words, hunger and thirsting for, for being hungry and thirsty for righteousness doesn't just mean that I'm, I'm holy in my own life. It means I'm ready to help make things the way that God wanted them to be. Does that make sense? And so it breaks us out of this notion that it's just about how many worship songs I've memorized. Don't get me wrong. That's important because it gets our heart and our mind in the right place to do the right stuff. So for those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, right doing, for those who hunger and thirst for doing right, or for hungering and thirsting for making sure others are doing right, right? Like we read about in July 4th, 1776, a group of people came together in Philadelphia and said, the people from across the pond aren't doing right by us. So we're going to distance ourselves from them and establish our own people here. We're going to call it, I don't know, United States of America. And they had this idea because rightness was not happening and they wanted to make things more right. Similarly, we have that opportunity every single day. How do I make things more right in the world that I live in? Jesus says, if you hunger and thirst for it, then guess what? You will be filled. Verse 7, blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Here it goes, that idea again. Whatever you give out, guess what? It's going to come around, right? And that could be good stuff. So I don't know about you, but I, I like to follow Jesus' advice and give away as much stuff as possible because I'm like, all right, Lord, I already know you're going to take care of me and my family, Right? When I give this away, I already know that it's going to come back to me tenfold and to my children, right? Whether or not I see it or receive it, my grandchildren are going to receive it, right? And, and so he says, blessed are those who are merciful, those who give out mercy, for they shall obtain mercy. Guess what? There's going to come a day when every single one of us in here needs a little bit of mercy. And on that day, you're going to be thankful that you gave it out. Because on that moment, God's going to be able to see, say, I saw you. I saw what you did. You always demonstrated mercy. You always looked out for people. Now you're in a spot where you need a little bit of mercy coming your way. Guess what? A hundredfold coming right back on you. Verse 8. Blessed are the pure in heart. For they shall see God. Some of you might be thinking, man, that's so hard to have a pure heart these days. Right? All of us have cynicism and skepticism. And we're always, you know, distrusting of everybody and anybody. And, you know, we're not sure who to talk to and who not to talk to. And, there, you know, there's conspiracies floating around. And, man, it is so difficult to have a pure heart these days. Right? And, and, and the image that I have of a pure heart is when there's a COVID pandemic going on, right? The, there's, there's explosions and wars and fires and all shortages of toilet paper and, you know, all kinds of stuff going on, politics and, you know, everything's happening. You know, people are in the hospital. And then uh, all of a sudden the paleta man comes by with a mask on and my two-year-old goes running out the door. I hand him a $1 bill. He comes back with a little Sonic the Hedgehog with two yellow gumballs for eyes. And he's got a big old smile from ear to ear with, a, with an ice cream 
pop in his hand, even though the world's on fire. Right? He don't know the world's on fire. All he knows is he's got Sonic the Hedgehog with two yellow gumballs for eyes. And he's about to sit on the porch and enjoy it and watch it drip all over himself. Which I don't know about the moms, but the, you know, the difference between the way we raise our kids, for me, the way I do it is I take his clothes off first. Then after he has the ice cream, I just hose him down. Then I didn't ruin any of his clothes. And I change his diaper. Drea comes home. She doesn't even know. Beside the blue tongue, she don't even know that he had Sonic the Hedgehog. Right? But he's, he's in bliss. He doesn't even know what's going on around him. Right? Because he's got a pure heart. And Jesus is saying, blessed are those who even in the midst of storms and fires and pandemics and toilet paper shortages and everything going on around us, somehow, some way, our soul, our heart is protected by the power of the Holy Spirit, by the grace of God. And we could walk around like, hey, it's all good. My God's got this thing under control. People are like, you're crazy, man. How could you be so calm and collected right now going through all this stuff? Well, because Jesus is in charge. Right? Fauci's not in charge, the EU's not in charge, the, you know, the President of the United States, not in, Jesus is in charge, so I'm okay. I'm all right. Well, aren't you worried and concerned? Well, you know what? I'm going to be aware, and I'm going to be knowledgeable, but I'm not going to be worried and concerned, right? Because I'm going to put my trust in Jesus, and, and everything's going to be all right, right? So he said, blessed are the pure in heart. For they shall see God. Imagine that. Imagine that. So think about this. We have a hard time seeing God because we're so addicted to seeing the stuff that causes us to not be able to see God. Right? We're so addicted to the stuff that keeps us back from having a pure heart. Because we flood ourselves with these ideas that cause our heart to be torn in so many different directions. Instead, we should say, Lord, I want to see you. More importantly than this issue or situation, I want to see you. More importantly than when what I'm going through right now, I want to see you, God. Right? And then, and then guess what? He'll, he's going to give us a pure heart in that moment. Amen? No, uh, verse 9. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. You know what the difference between a peacekeeper and a peacemaker is? A peacekeeper is somebody who doesn't want to rock the boat, who wants to keep things as is, and tries to re- avoid conflict as much as possible. A peacemaker is one who has to make conflict in order to stop d- injustice and harm being done to somebody who didn't deserve it. So peacemakers are not just those who avoid conflict. Peacemakers are those who choose the right kind of conflict. Right? Everybody understand that? So he says, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Right? Verse 10, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And then lastly, verses 11 and 12, blessed are you when they revile and persecute you, say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad for great is your reward. Somebody say great is your reward. Great is your reward in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So let's bring this to a close this morning, July 4th. Be safe, by the way, everybody, please, all right? Supervise the little ones, okay? Don't give them your lighters. 
I'm saying that from experience. What were they thinking? I don't know how many times I had to get the bowl with the ice and the water and stick my thumb in it. All right. But nowadays they got the easy lighters. They didn't have those when I was a kid. We just had the ones with the roller thing that I got burned from the lighter before I even got burned from the firework. Everybody be careful, okay? Please be careful. I want to see you here with both eyes and all of your fingers next week on Sunday. Praising God with everything, okay? Amen? Uh, Let's be safe today. But seriously, as we wrap up this first uh, installment of the Sermon on the Mount series, as we looked at the Beatitudes, blessed, blessed are. uh, First of all, blessed are you, church. You're blessed. Uh, You're blessed because God loves you. You're blessed because Jesus died for you. You're blessed because no matter where you go and where you've been, no matter what your past, present, or future is, you have a God that loves you and and who, who loves you into relationship and fellowship with him. That's why you're blessed. And then guess what? On top of that, the cherry on top, if we have a little bit in our bank account, praise God. Right? If we have a nice car, right, that we can count on, praise God. If, if God's given us beautiful children, praise God. If God's given us ugly, no, never mind, never mind. But God gives us above and beyond what we need, but it's not those things that defines our blessedness. It's his presence, his love for us that defines our blessedness. Everything else is, is great. Amen. So when next time you have a conversation with a person out on the street that's looking for a place to stay permanently and they don't have one and you give them a sandwich or something to eat or a couple bucks to get a fresh ice cold water on a hot day, make sure you tell them, hey, you're blessed. And I, I guarantee you, I know what their response is because I've said this before. Their response will be, I know, so are you. We're, all, we're over here worrying about all our possessions and things and And most of the people that don't got much already say, man, I'm blessed. I'm blessed. 